0: Merry Christmas to uh, each and every one of you. It's great to have you uh, with us today to honor God and worship Him. Again, my name is Doug Vernon, and those of you who have joined us online, welcome. We're thankful for you to be here. And again, if you're new, we'd love to be able to connect with you some way. And one of the easiest ways to do that is just text that word, welcome, um, to six three six two oh six eight six five four and that way we can connect with you if you 're a first time guest if you 're a regular part of our church family there 's a card in the seat there or you can put your name on there, especially put a prayer request, you can put that in the offering box you leave those of you are online, you can put your name in the chat box or you can also click on that prayer link and you can be able to have a time uh, let us pray for you about some need in your life. So I I enjoy the Christmas season. I have good memories as a kid having Christmas, um, even with our kids being young. There's something about, you know, the, I don't know, the magic of Christmas that kind of makes it special and fun. In fact, we watched uh, the other night one of my wife's favorite Christmas movies, which is Arthur Christmas. Anybody seen the movie Arthur Christmas? And the very beginning, it talks about Christmas as having magic, right? It's this very special kind of cool season of life. Now, we know Christmas started really back with St. Nicholas, right? An actual person who, um, you know, used his life to make an impact and a difference on other people around the world. Um, But through the years, it's kind of adjusted, right? It's kind of changed a little bit. It's uh, become something that's a little bit difficult to believe. And when you take that and you begin to talk about the Jesus story... Sometimes people can transfer that same logic that, well, yeah, there was this guy years ago who, you know, was a good guy, lived on this world, but since then, you know, they have made him to be something bigger than life, and so they apply the same logic, you know, what was true then, you know, is not necessarily true today, and so Luke writes two letters, actually, a letter, but also uh, a gospel, but also a book, all for the purpose of helping a guy by the name of Theophilus, who was a kind of an important person. He was a leader in the community. Many thought he happened to be a judge, which many probably saw any and everything, but he writes this letter to Theophilus, who is um, a believer now, but the purpose of this letter is in those first four verses of Luke one. But here's what Luke chapter one and verse four says. Luke one and four uh, says, and he's writing this. He's speaking specifically to Theophilus. He says, "I've written these things so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught." So he's been taught. He knows about Jesus and about God, but he writes so that you may know the certainty. And that word means firmness. It means reality. It means facts so Luke has the credentials to do this. He's a doctor, a physician, he's a historian, he understands because he was a Jew, the whole Christ, or Jewish culture, but now he's a Christian. And so he writes these things and he starts really at the very beginning. Um, he starts with the uh, events surrounding uh, the birth of Jesus Christ, the, the Savior of the world. And so he's writing these things so that we know that the that they're real, so that we would know the reality of the events surrounding the life of Jesus Christ. But he really just kind of gives us a glimpse in these first couple chapters of Luke of the way he's going to handle the whole life of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing, if what Luke writes about Jesus is true, and if, if he really is king, then that means you and I have some decisions that we have to make in our life. If he really is king, that we got to make some choices in our life. So today we begin a new series together, our Christmas series, simply entitled The Light of the World. Um, Jesus is often called the light of the world. In fact, in Luke chapter 2, we'll look at this in a couple of weeks, he, he's referred to as being a light to shine on the Gentiles, which is predominantly you and I. And so what we're going to do as we come to really the last series in the gospel of Luke, because we spent the whole month or the whole year in the gospel of Luke. And so as we come to this, we're going to take a look at Luke's account surrounding the birth of Jesus Christ. And how Luke handles that, it helps us to better understand who this Jesus is that we've been seeking after, right? We've been searching after Jesus this whole year. That's why we've been digging into the Gospel of Luke, because we need to get to know him better, because he's the only one that can change our hearts and our lives. And so he writes about this baby that's to come, but he presents him in such a way that you've got to make a choice about this baby. It's not just some baby to come along, but this is the baby that was born the king. And so in this series, we're going to talk about um, how Jesus came to free us from our bondage to sin. Uh, Jesus came to be a light in the darkness. And then today, we're going to talk about the fact that this baby that was born was born to be king, and that if he really is king, then we got some choices to make. Because here, here's kind of our key. Here's where we're going today. And it is simply this. To believe that Jesus came is to surrender to this baby as your king. To believe in him means you've got to surrender to him as your king. So I want to start in Luke chapter 1. So that's where we're going to be at today, though we're actually going to be... In the Old Testament for a little bit, but first I want to just read Luke 1, verses 26 and 27. Luke writes this In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent. So it's important to understand that the coming of the angel and the coming of this whole season is all about God's plan and God working, okay? That's critical. God orchestrated the events. God's been planning these events really since the beginning of time. God has planned to send this particular baby. But what's interesting is the story of the birth of Jesus doesn't actually begin with, the fir- with this particular appearance of Gabriel the angel. And it wasn't just the appearance earlier in Luke chapter 1 in which Gabriel comes to John the Baptist's father. Literally, the story of Jesus Christ begins with the appearance of Gabriel some 540 years before this. You see, the setting is Daniel. Daniel is in captivity, Daniel is on his face praying to God for his people. You see, some 70 years before that, the fulfillment of the promise that God had made to his people, if you continue to turn away from me, if you continue to rebel, if you continue to follow after foreign gods, if he had warned them hundreds and hundreds of years, he had sent prophets to them to tell them to stay away from these foreign gods. Finally, God said, that's it. And so Daniel, along with a host of Jews, were led off into captivity into the Chaldean land where Nebuchadnezzar was king at the time of the writing that we're going to look at here in a moment in Daniel chapter 9. Um, It's the Medes and the Persians now. They've taken over. But Daniel is falling on his face in prayer to say, God, the 70 years are up. We repent of our sins. We need you to take us back home. Now, Daniel chapter 9, the first 20 verses are one of the greatest examples of a prayer in all of Scripture. If you want to read a prayer, uh, a a man just coming before God in repentance and honoring God, read the first 20 verses of Daniel chapter 9. But right in the middle of his praying, he's on his face praying, he gets interrupted. And who do you think he gets interrupted by? Gabriel. Gabriel. Good answer. Gabriel. Now, don't you hate to get interrupted in the middle of your praying? You know, you're at the, going out to eat and you're praying for your meal and the server comes up and starts telling you what's for supper. The other morning, Patty and I, we usually always pray together before we leave the house, one of us, and we're praying together. And somebody rings the doorbell, how rude of them, right in the middle of our praying together. I mean, it's just terrible. But Daniel gets interrupted, and so in Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 24, here's what the angel says to him. Now, you've got to put your thinking caps on. This is going to be challenging, okay? So, you've got to pay attention here. No sleeping during this, all right? <laughs> 77s are decreed for your people. So, then, Gabriel is giving a message to Daniel from God for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So, that's a lot. Most. Commentators tend to think that that's the most holy. Then he goes on, no one understand this. From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. That's an important time frame, right? To restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. Say that with me. Anointed one. Until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Somebody add that up for me. 62 plus seven is... Oh, come on now, guys. I know some of you can do math there. 69, thank you very much. The anointed one, after... Um, let's see, where was that? It will be... Uh, there we go. The ruler comes, there will be seven sevens, 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets in a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, so we have seven already, now 62. The anointed one will be put to death and you will and will have nothing the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary the end will come like a flood war will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven in the middle of the seven he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that his decree is poured out on him Now, you've probably not heard that read as a part of the Christmas story. But it is a part of the Christmas story. Some 500 plus years before Jesus comes to this earth, Gabriel is sent to Daniel to tell him about this one to come. Notice the whom Gabriel is pointing to. Look what he says there in verse 25. No one understand this from the time the word goes out, to restore and rebuild jerusalem until who is it again the anointed one comes the ruler even says there'll be seven and then 62 sevens it'll be rebuilt with streets and a trench and in times of trouble after the 62 sevens the what the anointed one will be put to death the anointed one the promised one the messiah him coming that's the christmas story the birth of jesus christ him dying That's the cross. In other words, what's happening here is 500 years before Gabriel comes to Mary, he gives Daniel a timetable to tell him this is exactly when it's going to take place. And you need to know this, that God has been planning the coming of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the King over all. He's been planning this since the beginning of time. It is not happenstance. It's not just so that we can have this wonderful season of the year. In fact, Paul himself said in Galatians chapter four, he said, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, that's Christmas, right? Born of a woman, born under the law. He was a Jew living under the Old Testament law that we might receive adoption to sonships. God has been planning for you and I To be chosen through jesus christ since the very beginning of time and so when gabriel appears a 540 year prophecy was taking place so now back to luke chapter one what does he say there again in the sixth month of elizabeth's presidency god sent the angel gabriel god sent the angel gabriel and if God sent the angel Gabriel, and if the baby really is the king, then you and I have some decisions that we have to make. So, what were Gabriel's words? Look down in verse 28. I love that. I'm glad you're listening to your Bible. This may be a different time, right? No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was good. I love that. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who, are, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I think that's an understatement. Mary was greatly troubled. I mean, an angel shows up. First of all, it wasn't just what he said, but it's just all of a sudden you got an angel showing up. I mean, I would be greatly troubled, but then... Those words, you are highly favored. Those words mean, not that Mary was special, though there were some things that were special about Mary. But she was special because God chose her. God chose her to to be the one to bring the Savior into this world. But what's more amazing is that God, through his Son, has chosen every single one of us in this room his love for us is amazing you are special and unique to god he has chosen us to be adopted as his daughters and as his sons because of what jesus christ has done for us on the cross so gabriel explains she doesn't even say anything out loud but gabriel goes on beginning in verse 30 angel said do not be afraid mary i think that's important to put at the beginning right don't be afraid He says it again, you found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So he appears and he tells her the what? The what is that she's going to conceive and she's going to have a baby. I mean, having a baby is a very special thing, right? I remember, I think it was four Christmases ago, we're sitting around as a family in our back room, and Kevin, our son, hands us a bunch of photographs, and we're going through those photographs. Actually, Patty is going through them, and suddenly she comes across a photograph that's an ultrasound of a little baby and... I didn't really know what was going on. Most guys are clueless about stuff like that. But my wife freaked out because that meant Eliana was on her way, right? I mean, a birth is such a fun thing. She's going to have a baby. That, that's the, the what. But what's more significant in this story is the whom. Me. He says, you're going to give birth to a son and you will call his name Jesus. So that's the Greek. The Hebrew for Jesus is the name Joshua, which means Yahweh saves. He's he's starting to give hints about the significance of this baby that's to be born here. You're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great. I mean, just the events surrounding the announcement of his birth is amazing. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Will be called means he will be recognized. He will be acknowledged at. He will be known as not, not your son, Mary. He will be known as the Son of the Most High. That phrase, Most High, is one of Luke's favorite phrases that he uses as he talks about God. He will be the Son of God. He says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. There's so many different prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah being given the throne of of David. One of the most significant ones was given to David by Nathan, who was a prophecy, who said, your throne, somebody's going to sit on your throne forever in your name, a, a descendant of yours. He says, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It won't just have an ending place. It'll never have an ending place. And the words that Gabriel speaks to Mary about the whom, the Messiah, the baby to be born, places this baby in, in a category all by themselves. I mean, it, it, it is no doubt that God is working in the most significant way you and I could ever imagine. And so Mary asked the question, verse 34: well, how will this be, she said, since I am a virgin? She knew she hadn't been with any man, not even Joseph. How will this be since I'm a virgin? But what's also intriguing to me about how Luke does these things, he kind of almost like in a sideways helps us to understand the significance of who this baby will be because Mary will be a virgin. This is the second time actually that Luke has let us know this. And Luke's a doctor. He knows whether or not she's going to be a virgin or not. He understands these kind of things. And yet he's writing this to give Theophilus and us the certainty so that we could firmly believe about who this baby is. And so she says, how is this going to be? She's not doubting. She just wants some details, right? So the angel provides that, verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. There he says it again. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I mean, as, as Luke is writing this account, as, as a doctor writing this account, he knows this sounds Crazy. But he's also researched it. He's also talked to people. He's also writing the things that he is absolutely certain. And what he's saying is that this birth is going to be supernatural. He writes for a certainty. And in fact, the angel even gives to Mary some proof, right? She talks about her Elizabeth, her relative. She's in her sixth month, and Elizabeth is way past being able to have a child. Even gives her proof. But I love that last phrase for no word from God will ever fail, or nothing is impossible with God. In other words, you know, if God promises, it's going to happen. And then Mary's response, verse 38 I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. See, Luke leaves no doubt. The Holy One to be born will be the Son of God. That this is a supernatural birth. This is someone unlike anyone who ever has been born or anyone who ever will be born. So why does Luke go to such elaborate lengths to help us to understand about this particular baby here? I mean, all births are special, right? Some are more significant. Some even have impact maybe on a whole nation. But this is a birth that has an impact on every single one of us in this room, every single one of us who is listening. It impacts us because if Jesus is really king, if he really comes from God, then you and I have some decisions that we have to make. Our struggle when we think about this idea of king or royalty is Jesus doesn't really fit into this category, right? So when we think of royalty, we tend to think of pictures like this, right? So that's the Queen of Elizabeth. Um, That's the late Duke of, what is it, Edinburgh? Did I say that right? Uh, Thankfully, I'm not British. I'd probably have my head chopped off, right? Anyway, I mean, you look at this picture, and I mean, it's so elaborate. The crown and the jewels, I can't imagine how much that may have cost. and You know, the elaborate seats that they're in. That's what we think of when we think about royalty, But Jesus doesn't fit that at all. We're going to learn next week about how Jesus came along. And it was like, there's nothing royal about how Jesus came along, right? But royalty is not defined about the where, but about the whom. So do you have trouble recognizing that Jesus is the king? I mean, some people really do. I mean, for some people, they struggle with recognizing Jesus as king because you know, he just doesn't fit in the picture of royalty, right? For some people, they have a hard time recognizing Jesus as king. It's because, well, they never grew up really hearing about that. Some people have trouble recognizing that Jesus is king because they have a hard time believing in the miraculous kinds of things that Luke makes very, very clear for us that are very provable there. Sometimes people have a hard time recognizing Jesus as king because they don't want to have to change their life, right? They don't have to do something different in their life, because if I do it God's way, then I'm not going to have any fun in this world. Some people really struggle with that. So my question for you is, what is your view of Jesus Christ? Not every Jesus is the real Jesus. There's Democrat Jesus, who's against Wall Street and big business, who's for reducing our carbon footprint and printing money. There's the Republican Jesus, who's against tax increases and activist judges, who's for family values and owning firearms. There's therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are, and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations and drives a hybrid. There's open-minded Jesus, who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, Well, except for people who are not as open-minded as you. Then there's Touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcome of Super Bowls. There's Martyr Jesus, a good man who died a cruel death so we could feel sorry for him. There's Gentle Jesus who was meek and mild with high cheekbones flowing air and walks around barefoot wearing a sash. There's Spirituality Jesus who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests. And doctrine, I would rather have people out in nature finding the God within. There's platitude Jesus, good for Christmas specials, greeting cards, and bad sermons, inspiring people to believe in themselves. There's good example Jesus, who shows you how to help people change the planet and become a better you. And then there's Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, not just another prophet, not just another rabbi, not just another wonder worker he was the one they had been waiting for the son of david and abraham's chosen seed the one to deliver us from captivity yahweh in the flesh the one to establish god's reign and rule the one to heal the sick give sight to the blind freedom to the prisoners and proclaim good news to the poor the lamb of god who came to take away the sins of the world this jesus was the creator come to earth the beginning of a new covenant. He embodied the new creation, fulfilled the commandments, and reversed the curse. This Jesus is the Christ that God spoke of to the serpent, the Christ prefigured to Noah in the flood, the Christ promised to Abraham, the Christ prophesied through Balaam before the Moabites, the Christ guaranteed to Moses before he died, the Christ promised to David when he was king, the Christ Revealed to Isaiah as the suffering serpent, the Christ prophesied to Daniel as the anointed one, the Christ predicted through the prophets and prepared for through John the Baptist. This Christ is our Lord and God. He is the Father's Son, Savior of the world, and substitute for our sins, more loving, more holy, and more wonderful than we could ever imagine possible. This baby is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Will you bow to him today? <clears throat> it's a great question. Will we bow to him today? I think we have some decisions to make just like I think Mary had some decisions to make. You know, her decision was, am I going to submit and obey to what the angel's saying, and it's, you know, it's not, not that she's not trusting in the angel, but she recognizes that if I really trust in what's going on, I, I've got to, to do this. In other words, to bow the knee for her, meant I've got to submit and I've got to obey. And that's where it becomes really challenging for so many people, because to really recognize Jesus as king means that I have to bow my knees and submit to Jesus in all things, not just the things that make sense, right? This didn't make sense to Mary, right? Not just in the things that make sense, but I have to bow my knee to Jesus in all things. So to recognize Jesus as king demands submission from us if we really see him as our king. So how will you respond to this baby who is king? I mean, really, A baby who's king is a whole lot easier to bow the knee to and submit to than a grown-up king, right? Because babies don't make any demands on you, do they? I guess they like to eat a lot, and they make a big mess, and then there's that lack of sleep thing, right? You don't get to sleep at all. Okay, so they make some demands. But Jesus did not come to this earth to make your and my life easier. He came to this earth to take our life from us he said if you want to follow after me you must deny yourself take up your cross daily and follow me the person who wants to save their life they got to lose their life i mean to bow the knee to jesus isn't demanding it is life-changing and so if jesus really is king if this little baby really is king we've got some decisions to make in our life Am I living life the way I want to live and just periodically bringing Jesus in, or am I really bowing the knee to Jesus as my king? And that's a hard thing for some of us to do because we've got those areas that we tend to hold on to, like we talked about last week. It's just hard to let go of those things, whether it's people or relationships or our view of God. I mean, we need to be willing to bow our knee and to submit to him. To believe is to, to surrender to to this baby as king. So what does it look like for you to surrender to this king? What is an area that you, that I, what, that we have to be willing to let go of because of that? What, what gets in the way of us seeing Jesus the way Jesus really is? My prayer today is that you and I would recognize who he really is. And imagine what it would be like if we really submitted to Jesus in all areas not just some of them and not just the easy, but all of them imagine the impact that it could have impact on your family and your relationships the place that you work I mean to submit and obey means some difficulties because like Mary to submit and obey meant she was going to be ridiculed by people right Um, Joseph didn't understand the angel had to appear to him and then her whole life was filled with just struggles because of who jesus was her son right and yet she got the privilege of being able to see him raised from the dead her lord and savior imagine the impact that could have on your life if we submit and surrender to jesus as king this christmas let's recognize who he is in our life